Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. tuning into Balanced Black Girl Podcast. My name is Aless. I am your host and I'm bringing you another rewind episode as I continue my hiatus this month. And I couldn't do a rewind episode of some of our greatest hits, particularly this close to Valentine's Day, without resharing this interview with Sheena Tubbs, the creator of Black Girls Heal. This episode originally aired in December of 2019. Sheena and I had just an incredible conversation about breaking unhealthy relationship cycles, although no matter when you listen or what time of year, it is so helpful. It is so relevant, and I hope that you enjoy the rewind of this important conversation as much as we enjoyed recording it for you. So please enjoy this conversation with Sheena. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have you. How are you feeling today? How are you doing before we we jump into the the meaty questions? (laughs) Yeah, well, I am wonderful. I'm so excited to be on this show as well. Today has been lovely. So I'm happy that this is going to be just kind of the cherry on top. Oh, I love to hear that. And for our audience members who are just now meeting you, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, so I am a relationship trauma and attachment specialist. I'm a licensed professional therapist based in Houston and a love addiction coach. And what I do is I help women break the cycles of unhealthy relationships and feeling not enough to improve their self-love and get the life and relationships that they want. And I do that via helping them heal their unresolved childhood trauma, because really these patterns are just a repetition of previous traumas and also just building a better connection to themselves. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I think that work is so incredibly important. And it's something that impacts us all on a day to day. But I think on an individual level, it is so hard to know how to do that work to heal without the proper guidance. So thank you for providing that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I I love this work. It's definitely where I'm supposed to be. So I'm happy to share. Yeah. How did you get into the mental health field? Yeah, so growing up, or I'll say right before I went into college, my goal was to be a child psychiatrist because I wanted to help families. I wanted to help families that looked like me. And then when I got into school, I realized that the field of psychology, I was pre-med at the time, and um, I was like, this just feels very one-dimensional. And not knock anyone who loves the field of psychology, but I just felt like there was something that was missing about the soul of people. And so I found something called family studies at my university. And it was great because it looked at the holistic person. It looked at not just how we think about the world, it looked at the psychology, and of course, looked at the family and how our family really shapes who we are and how we're basically we operate in systems. And so that just set me on the track to become a marriage and family therapist. And so I did couple and family work for a long time. I have a hearts for the younger generation as well. 
And so I actually took a couple detours towards helping children who are in the unaccompanied minor shelters. So the ones that you see in the news a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at one of those for a while. I worked in residential treatment centers with teenagers. I worked in the school system. And also I did some private practice. And so just over time, as I was just kind of figuring out where my heart was more focused, it was with women who were like me who had a similar story to me and women who just were really just trying to find a way to be connected to themselves and have better relationships. And so just over time, I started to narrow into that field. But I've always had a heart to help people. I come from a family of healers. My grandmother was the woman in the neighborhood who everybody came to. She was a safe house. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a social worker before she passed away. My sister works with young children as well. So it's just kind of in my blood, I think. Yeah, that's incredible to help people heal in that way. In your work, where you help women break out of cycles of unhealthy relationships, how does someone know if they're in a cycle of having unhealthy relationships? Like how many times do you kind of repeat that behavior before you can say, okay, this is a cycle or this is a pattern? And how do you recommend someone kind of admit that to themselves and and understand that they are in a cycle that needs to be broken? That is a wonderful question, especially because the word I use in the niche of women that I help is the phrase love addiction. Mm -hmm. And so people will be like, oh, what is that? That's not a thing. How can you be addicted to love? And so what I like to describe is I think the majority of people, if you have had a dating or romantic history, you may have dated someone who wasn't the best for you, someone who just wasn't ideal. It was a learning experience and you moved on. For the women that I help and support, what you find is that all of your relationships are with men or women who are unavailable, who might be busy, too busy to be connected to you, emotionally withdrawn, unfaithful, unhealthy. They might be narcissistic abusers, but there's something in that category. And then on the other side, you find that when you do date someone who's a nice person, you find that they are, you always have a criticism about them. So they're too nice, or you find it boring, or you just don't feel that chemistry. And so you find yourself going back to, you find yourself going back and forth between those extremes. Either I date someone who's not good for me or the people who are good for me. I just have a hard time connecting to them. And so, you know, within your question is exactly the pattern because people will go through this cycle for a long time and think, well, this is just part of dating. I just have to get out there more. I just need to work on myself. I just need to like love myself more. You listen to your friends who don't have the same problems that you do. You listen to like dating advice and you're like, maybe it's me. And it is, but it's not what you're thinking. It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. It's something that needs to be healed from within. Mm, It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. That's such a good, such a good nugget there. And I guess kind of on the flip side of that, what if someone has the realization that maybe they are that person who causes those painful cycles in others? What does healing from that perspective look like? Yeah. So if I am a person or a woman who finds that I'm the one who's unavailable, that it's really hard for me to connect to someone, then I just kind of look at, am I getting the type of life that I want? And what is the common denominator, right? So if I have dated X number of people and there's something wrong with all of them, 
is it possible that there's actually something wrong with my perspective, with my ability to let my walls down? Is there some kind of fear that I have with being connected with someone? Because if I'm connected and vulnerable, that means they take my power away. That means that they might hurt me. It means that I might lose my freedom. And I could talk a little bit about why that happens, but that is where I would start. Yeah, yeah. Those are really great questions to reflect on and ask yourself. In terms of a love addiction, and this might be kind of a very elementary question that I'm asking because I just think it's really interesting and I would love to hear your expertise. Is a love addiction always a bad thing? And how does one know if they have either a solidified love addiction that it is time to have some sort of intervention or healing with? Yeah, so funny, before I got into this work, if I heard someone talk about love addiction and being addicted to love, I would be so into it. I'd be like, yeah, like give me my romantic comedies. Give me, especially now the holiday movies. I'm for it. it. I'm a hopeless romantic in the house. But this is where the issue is. There's nothing wrong with liking and loving and the fairy tales and all that stuff. But the problem is, is when you get into a relationship or a partnership and you completely lose who you are for the promise of getting that happy ending, for that promise of someone saving you, fixing you, being the solution to an inner ache and pain that they were never built to fix for you. I tell the women I work with often that we are our own heroes, that we are the solution to our problems, to our stories. And it's whenever we lose control and lose our functioning. So for example, someone who is a love addict, and by this, I mean, you use the either fantasy of a relationship or a real relationship or the promise of one to kind of self-medicate and self-soothe when you feel alone, when you feel not good enough, when you feel empty, all those things. And you might be aware of those feelings or you might not. And if you're not aware of it, then the things that come after you might be able to relate to. So you find that you're unable to let go of people even more. So you might have heard the word trauma bonding before, but you will trauma bond very quickly to unavailable people. You will... I'm hesitating in saying this because I always like feel so bad, like being honest about it. But like oh, women be who honest I work with, with us. <laughs> yeah. Women who I work with, you know, is everything from having panic attacks mm-hmm. and feeling suicidal at times at the idea of losing this person. And like, this is it. Like he or she, that was the one and I can't be without them even some stalking, even just depression, losing time at work, all those things, right? And that's the extreme on one end. And on the other end, again, it's the, when I get close to someone, I pull back. It looks completely logical. I'm focused on my career right now. I just don't have time. I'm working on my purpose. You know, like these are the things on my list and he or she were missing a couple. And so we can explain very well to other people why it didn't work out. But again, there's always a reason why someone isn't good enough for us, there may be something underneath that. There might not be. You might just not be dating the right person, but there usually is something regarding you. Whether someone is kind of on one end of the spectrum or another, where do those reactions tend to come from? Are they 
part of conditioning? Are they innate within us? Like what controls how we react in those situations? Yeah, so this is where the relational trauma part comes in at and us just reenacting our own trauma. So every single one of us, when we were born, we all wanted and had the capacity and needed love, affirmation, validation, all of that, um, compassion. And if we grow up in households where that is absent, then what we do is we recreate that same trauma by finding people who are unavailable or being unavailable ourselves because subconsciously is comfortable to us. And also subconsciously, if I can get someone who is unavailable, just like my mother or my father, to react and love me, to change for me, to choose me, then it will help me feel better, then it will help me feel whole and like I am actually valued. What's really interesting about that, since I'm talking on the Balanced Black Girl podcast (laughs) to women, is the phrase that I always hear is, I have daddy issues. We're talking about women who have daddy issues and like maybe an absent father, but I'm telling you right now, the common thread for every woman who comes into my office or, or that I work with online is problems with mom because mom is your first relationship and so if you have a mother who may have been absent so like in the house but just emotionally wasn't really affirming to you maybe very critical maybe she was just busy and like when she was there she was great but she had to work all the time you know as a child you're taking in people love me but they're not here And those are messages, whether people say it to you or not. And so you grow up to be a woman where it's normal when someone is busy or doesn't have time for you, you're able to explain it away because this is what you've done your whole life. You know, you love mom, you love dad or grandma, grandpa, whoever's raising you. So as a child, you're going to try to make excuses because you don't want to think bad of them because they are your world. And so we are conditioned to use the word that you use to do the same for romantic partners until we unlearn that, until we get to a place where we say, no, I, it is normal for me to have needs. It is normal for me to want you to be here present and available. And I know, personally speaking, something that I have really struggled with is fear around making those needs known, Mm -hmm. worry of being called too demanding or too needy for vocalizing those needs. Is that something that you hear pretty often? Is that kind of a common situation for a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. And that's definitely something that's learned. You know, there's no baby that's like, am I crying too loud? I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me kind of like tone this down and wait until you have time. We're totally conditioned to say your needs are too much, too big. You need to consider other people. Other people are more important than you. You're the parent of the house, whatever it might be. We learn that. And that has to be something we need to actively unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we unlearn these things? Oh, good question. It's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first step is, it's going to sound corny, but it's wanting to change and wanting to actually step into that power. And the reason why that is the first step, even though it might sound obvious, is because there is a lot of fear. Just like you said, like there's fear of what if I'm actually honest with other people about what I want and they all leave me and they all reject me? What if I'm honest about what I want and I'm afraid of it not happening? And really what's really hard about it, truthfully, and this comes back to the relationship with ourselves, is most of the time when I ask women that question, 
person, they don't even know themselves what they want because they have learned and they've been trained. We've been trained so well and thinking about what you want, but then bringing it down about four or five notches, right? And then being willing to compromise and settle even with that, just to make sure everybody's comfortable and just to make sure that you're not disappointed. Yeah, that's the first step. Ooh, that's real. But I don't think that that's corny at all. And I'm actually really glad that you said that because I think as people, we have such great capacity to change and to withstand change, but we have to seek it and we have to want it. And so I think that totally makes sense that that's the first step. I would love to talk a little bit about attachment as well, um, because you are an attachment specialist. So first, what does it mean to be an attachment specialist? And can you tell us what attachment is? What does attachment mean? I'll start from the back. So attachment is the way that we bond and connect to other people. And it is a pattern that we learn as young infants that stays with us throughout our lifetime unless we actively intervene and change it. So again, with all the stuff that I'm talking about, everything has been learned. So it can be unlearned as well. And yes, we we can talk about temperament and like, were you born with the personality? Maybe, but the way that you learn to connect and interact with people has been learned for the most part. And so examples of attachment are things like if we grow up in a healthy household where our parents are available and they respond when we cry and they encourage us and they give us just a healthy amount of space and also connection, we have something that's called secure attachment. So we're able to connect with other people, to trust others, to have our own boundaries, to not lose ourselves. And that's how we operate in the world. And then if we have parents who maybe weren't very consistent, who were there sometimes, would abandon us or reject us. Other times we may have something called insecure or fearful attachment. And there's different variations of the name, but but basically it's hard for us to connect. We're so afraid that someone may leave us. This is where a lot of people pleasing comes from, a lot of codependence patterns come from because our greatest fear is that we will be left alone. So we try to do everything we can to either be who the other person wants us to be, or we don't attach at all in fear that they may leave us. And then avoidance is another type of attachment. And this is where it's just like the name says, where we (laughs) may avoid being connected to someone. And um, I mentioned this earlier because of fear of someone taking control of us losing our identity, of us being hurt. And usually that happens whenever we come from a household where there may have been some emotional abuse or intrusion. And so something I hear often from women it's kind of like 50-50. So I'll have some women who come in or who I meet with online who are like, yeah, I know exactly what happened. This, 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 and this happened in my house. And that's why I am the way I am. And some people are like, I grew up in a wonderful household. I have no idea why this is happening to me. What is going on? And that was really interesting about that is because yes, maybe you might not have been physically or sexually abused, but the type of abuse and trauma that happened is not things that did happen, but things that did not happen. So every time that you needed someone to be affirming and you might have gotten more criticism, like I said, that was like maybe framed as motivation, like you can do better, but it might have been harsh. It might not have been as warm as needed. It might not have been forgiving. There might have been a lot of emotional withdrawal, a lot of you don't know what you're thinking about or you don't 
what you're thinking doesn't make any sense. And so that's where we learn to put up walls because to be connected to someone means that they're going to hurt us. Again, these are all, I mean, a four-year-old is not thinking, you know what? I'm going to be guarded now. (laughs) It's just what happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's very relatable for me. And I've often thought that because I've done a little bit of kind of research and work around attachment styles, learned that according to assessments, I have a fearful avoidant attachment style. Kind of like what you were saying. I'm like, well, I was never abused. I grew up in a two-parent household, like have a good relationship with my family, don't have abandonment, like, you know, nothing like that and tried to figure out where that comes from. Mm-hmm. The key trauma, because there's multiple types of trauma, is emotional neglect. And it's, again, it's not what did happen. It's the things that didn't happen. Yeah. So you or your listeners want to Google that. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. So why is it important to understand attachment? And if you are looking to be partnered or if you have a partner, you know, how important is it that we understand what our partner's attachment styles are? Are there certain types of attachment that like work better together than others? And how do we apply this to others in our lives? It's important to know your attachment style because you're in control of your own life. You're the one who is the common denominator in your relationships and your career career and how you see yourself. And so it's important for you to know your growth areas and your strengths as well. And once you do that, you can actively choose, do I want to keep this like this or do I want to adjust it in some way? And so that's why it's important to know your attachment style as far as with a partner. It's the thing that will define whether or not a relationship works is whether or not you have two people who are both working on themselves. Yeah. So there's no real magic combination as long as both people are aware of what their growth areas and strengths are and they are actively seeking on how they can make the adjustments themselves. So, you know, going back to like those of us who may be insecure or anxious in our attachment style or the word that I use is love addicted. And let me just say this real quick. There are millions of people in the world. A lot of those people are anxious attached. And that does not mean that you are love addicted. Again, it's the women who, and men, because there's a lot of men out there as well, but it's those of us who completely, completely lose ourselves and our control because we are trying to self-medicate using relationships or fantasy or obsession, just to be clear about that. But what will happen with that is some people will get into a relationship. They might even listen to this podcast and they'll go to their partner who is avoidant and be like, this is our problem. So this is what you need to do. Oh, no. And this is what I'm going to do. We're going to like go through this workbook. Sheena mentioned this book. So read page 46. You can't do it, girl. Like no. he, he or she has to do their own work yeah. and they will make promises and you will meet someone who's like, you know what? I have a hard time communicating, but what I really love about you is that you bring it out of me and you need to run. You need to run when someone says that because you are not someone's therapist. Yeah. You are not their fixer. They are their own fixer. They need to be the one that's initiating that change. If they are not, they are going to start to resent you because again, if I'm avoided, I'm very afraid of 
someone trying to be close to me because that means you're going to hurt me. So the more you try to talk to me and get me to talk about my feelings over time, I'm going to be very angry and I'm going to say that you're doing too much, you're clingy, and I'm going to use that against you. You are in charge of you and you need to find someone else who knows that he or she is in charge of himself as well. Yes. Oh my goodness. I want to like print that out and hang it on my wall. (laughs) Everything you just said. of self-awareness around this. Maybe hopefully this conversation has inspired someone to start kind of digging deeper within themselves and start addressing these things. What does it mean to, you know, work on ourselves in this way? Mm-mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love this question because the women who end up working with me are the women who have done everything else. They've already worked on themselves, right? I think we as a people, especially we as Black women, we are very resourceful. We are independent. We are very good at getting our getting our shit together. And it can be very tempting to say, okay, I've been having all these problems. I'm going to take a detox. I'm going to take some time off and I'm just going to learn how to love myself. And I'm going to read self-help books. I'm going to get my morning routine. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to journal. And we do, I'm going to go to therapy, even go to like see a therapist. I'm going to do all these things. And then once we start to date again, then we are still dating the same type of people. And it could be very frustrating. It could be like, well, then what is the point of all of this? And really what you need to do, this is what I tell all my folks, is you need to do a real detox. And what a real detox is, is it means that you cut out every single person who is an ex or the person who isn't an ex, but someone that you have been fantasizing about, someone who you might not have been in a relationship with, but he or she really likes you. That means that you're not looking at their social media. It means that they can't look at yours. It means that there is a block because if you are using relationships and the validation of other people to help you feel better, you might technically be single, but you're still getting a hit off every time someone looks at you across the room or every time he or she texts you and just says, what's up? Even if you never respond, that feels good, right? That is like, oh, I am wanted. Oh, I am needed. And you need a set period of time where all of that is completely stripped away and you are just left with yourself, yourself and other healthy relationships. And a lot of times people don't know how to do that. Again, it's the extreme. I'm either all on one side and not on the other instead of balanced. And so if you want to start to do this, you have to get rid of your drugs, yeah. all the people and things you're using to self-medicate. It's real. It's, and it's a hard, I think a hard truth to hear. I know I've definitely been there where it's hard to do that, but it is also so freeing and it mm-hmm. opens you up and creates space for so much more. I had shared I shared something on Instagram a while ago where it was like stop checking to see if they're watching your stories. It, it mm. wasn't something that I wrote, but I just reshared it. And I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever gotten so many responses yeah. off of like <laughs> a meme that I've shared. Everybody was messaging me like, oh, you're right. Like, oh, call me out. And I was like, mm-hmm. I shared it because I need to hear it, too, because it is so easy to get addicted to these other things. And it's interesting because I feel like we as humans we've only had all of these other avenues for connection for a very short amount of time, the past couple of years, you know, and I think it can be so overwhelming to try to seek validation from all these different places, but to also feel sometimes rejected (laughs) from all these different avenues as well. And that can be addicting. 
Yeah. And the problem is us as little girls, we never were taught that we were enough and that our value and that who we are is just perfect as it is, is always your perfect if you look pretty, if you're the smartest, if you're quiet, if you say yes to everything, if you take care of us, whatever the qualifier is. And as a result, we don't learn that we are enough by ourselves, you know, and the way that you can test and know that this is true. And I know because I can relate because, again, I was this person, which is why I like helping women like the way I used to be. If I were to say, you know, when you're single, like you can just enjoy your own personality and your own company and what you'll get is people who are like smiling like yeah like totally but like inside you're like I'm boring as fuck like I don't like (laughs) be by myself okay all right and just there's almost this inner cringe that's like oh but for how long do I need to be by myself the answer is until until you're able to say this is comfortable this is free this is safe to just be with me because when we stop all the running and stop all the things that we're doing to make ourselves busy because what women will do what a lot of people will do this is how people will miss it is we'll play kind of like whack-a-mole and hot potato. So we'll cycle out the things that we use to self-medicate. So we might be all in with like this relationship or like a fantasy relationship. And then we do our dating detox, but now we self-medicate with like food. We're eating a lot more than we used to, or maybe we might start shopping and like spending a lot of money. And sometimes our shopping looks very healthy to other people. Like we booked that trip to Bali and it looks like, like we're really like taking time for ourselves, but really we're just running, you know, mm. we're, we're doing a lot because we can't sit still. We can't just be quiet with ourselves. And so that's how you know that there's something going on. Yes, sis, she may be ambitious and there might be something else going on. Ooh, yes, Ugh, I can relate to that firsthand. I want to take a step back to something that you said a little bit earlier to touch more on that because I think it's so important was around being enough and how as young girls, we're often not taught that we are enough just as we are. There's always a qualifier if we're good or if we're pretty or if we're smart. How do we as adult women really understand what enough means? What does it mean to be enough? Is that something that we can create a definition for ourselves? And how do we maintain peace with that? You know, I've never thought about what the definition of that is, but what I will say now is I think that you will know that you feel enough when you feel safe to just sit with just you, your inner child, your thoughts, and you're comfortable there when you don't need like the promise of, you know, one day I'm going to no longer have this insecurity. Feeling enough is not that you're perfect and gleaming and clean and everything's just shiny and brand new, but is that you are able to own just you are good enough as your imperfect self. You know, that as a human, as a human being in this world, the reality of that is that we are constantly balancing being flawed and being made with no mistake, right? And so being able to just sit in that and say like, it's okay, I am okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for for sharing that, because I think it is one of those things where I don't know if I've ever met (laughs) or interacted with a woman who at some point has either shared that she at times has not felt like she's enough or still doesn't feel like she's enough. But like none of us can define it yet. It's something that we all feel. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Also, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about kind of understanding if maybe you are that person who is a little bit 
more avoidant and kind of takes that space and how it can sometimes be easy to hide under the guise of doing the work and doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How does someone know if they've maybe erred on that side of the scale a little bit too much if they're kind of hiding in the work? So I already mentioned some things, especially for those women who are like single, but I'll say some stuff for women who are currently in relationships and dating or otherwise is when you are with this partner that you were just so excited about at first. And now there's almost like a, a time limit in the amount of time that you can spend together until you're like, all right, I need my space. I need to do something else to break up all this togetherness. Or you may find that, again, you're resistant to sharing what's gone on throughout your day, where you may find that you guide the conversation to talk a lot about what's going on with them and you listen to them, but you're not really sharing a lot about you. You might have had partners or your current partner say, you know, again, we talk, we talk a lot about you, or I feel like you don't share a lot about yourself. There's always that a projection that there's some reason why you're not talking as much versus the fact that you're not talking as much, right? Those are some things to kind of look out for. Yeah, yeah. No, that's those are really good because I think, and maybe just this is me as a single person and maybe this is just kind of the content that I consume, but I think that there is often a lot of talk around, well, if you're single, here's how to do the work to be unsingle. But even mm-hmm. if you are partnered, I think the journey of working on yourself and self-discovery never ends. And so that's, I think, really important. Yeah. Can I say something about that? Another phrase that I use often is intimacy disorder, because really what this is, is there is there's difficulty in being intimate with other people and intimate with ourselves. The key to all this is once you learn how to be intimate with yourselves, out of that, you learn how to be intimate with other people. But we usually want to do the opposite. And so the reason why I bring that up is what people will say is I'll do the work to not be single and then I'll get into relationships all healthy and shiny. And this is going to be great because I finally found a man or a woman who's healthy and shiny as well. But because there are some root causes that you're afraid of being seen. So someone who's more anxious and insecure in their attachment, there's a fear that if someone really sees the real me, that they won't want to be there, that they will finally like find us out and that they will leave us. Right. And so what will happen is you'll get with someone who's emotionally available, who sees you, who wants to spend time with you and you are scared whether or not you have words for it or not that is scary and so you swing to become the avoidant now because someone is present like you need to create some distance and space because you don't know how to be close and so that's another reason why I really try to emphasize for people men and women that that relationship is not going to make everything better you think it will you think that's that missing piece but it's not there's something deeper for you Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I also struggle a little bit even with the idea that being partnered is like Mm -hmm. a goal or that it is an achievement in some way, not to talk Mm -hmm. down on partnership at all. Because I mean, I one day would like to have that. (laughs) (laughs) Do not. However, I think when people get so wrapped up in having that and seeing that as an end goal, I just think that they're kind of doing themselves a disservice by having that perspective. That is true. And when we talk about intimacy 
issues and attachment issues. You're right. Romantic relationships usually get all of the glory. They get all of the focus, but this is with all of your relationships. So with your friendships, are you the person who's constantly attracting girlfriends or guy friends who are asking you for things that are constantly taking from you and not giving that they're flaking out on you, that they're unavailable, that no one really knows who you are? You know, is that how it's showing up in your relationships? Are you someone who isolates and you have a ton of friends, you have lots of people, but no one really knows you. You might share something deep with one person, but then you're busy because you're having brunch and going to like galas and functions with other people. And so you have months of distance and time, but until you hang out with that person again, because that constant connection is scary for you. Obviously in your family relationships, like so many of us regress when we go back around them, you know, we're one person with our friends and our romantic partnerships. But when we're back there, we go back to our younger selves and it's hard to kind of stand in our truth and our power. Coworkers work everything. So really wherever you go, there you are. That's the phrase I like to tell people, wherever you go, there you are. You take the same issues with you. So if you want to change your life, you change yourself. So good. I am just like, "Mm, this has just given me so much life in so many ways. (laughs) I'm just like loved everything that you have shared with us and so much that also I personally needed to hear and appreciate as well. (laughs) I would love for our audience to also get to know you a bit better just as a person, as a woman. So for you, you know, very much deep in the work of helping others. Like, as you said, you were born into a family of healers, which I could also imagine is probably pretty taxing to do that kind of work. You are also a new mom. So how do you recharge? How do you practice self-care? How do you also take care of you? So the way that I take care of me, because I definitely am on the side of where, you know, I got the things that I wanted. This might not be everybody's story, but I did want to be in a romantic partnership with unavailable men with I wanted to have a child, you know, so I have all the things. And so this where my avoidant parts can kick in if I am not aware of it. So the way that that will look is like working more often than I need to. It may look like not spending time with my husband and like looking him in the eye eyes, doing something on my phone. And it may also be working a lot to not have time with myself. So like skipping my morning routine and stuff like that. So what I do is the opposite of all of those things. I spend conscious time with my husband and I say, this is our set time for just us to have time together and cuddle and um, (laughs) for me to stay longer than I had planned to, even on top of that, to kind of like push that tolerance and like be present is to look my baby in the eyes and just be present with him with every moment um, instead of the one more email. It's me making sure that I have my morning routine and that I'm taking time for myself and just, you know, knowing that things are going to be okay, that I don't have to be there for everyone. It's having boundaries with family and saying no and realizing because the way that it worked out in my family is I was very parentified. I'm an almost a second mother. And so learning that I'm a sister, I'm not a mother. Um, And like constantly living that out because something that some people think is once you learn the lesson and once you get the healing, you should be done. And so when a problem like resurfaces, you're like, I thought I'd already healed this. And what it is, is new level, different devil, like, Mm -hmm. or 
whatever that phrase is, you know, but it just, it may look a little bit differently because now the old stuff that used to trip you up, you got that. Now you're like kind of going deeper into your work and like you're getting pushed a little bit, a little bit more. So that's how I stay connected and take care of me. Mm -hmm. All wonderful things. And I also appreciate too, that you shared a little bit about, you know, certain circumstances where you can maybe feel your own avoidant styles coming out and and how you manage that, I think is something that's also very helpful to hear, just because it might be easy to think, okay, well, because you're an expert in something that must mean that you are always, you know, securely attached in all of the things all of the time. And it's just refreshing to hear that. I think if I can't humble brag, I think I'm (laughs) good at what I do because I do try to be self-aware and I do try to be open that, you know, I am human. I'm exactly what I preach to other people. I am not perfect. And the moment I start to think that I am is the moment that I am, I'm going to start hurting other people because it's going to be all about me and not about a healthy interdependence and learning how to be in control of myself and charge of myself, but also be open and loving towards other people that I don't don't have to choose and live in the in the extremes anymore. Yes. Ugh, love that so much. So Sheena, I know after this episode, everybody is going to be like <laughs> blowing up your inbox of, are, are you taking clients? How can I work with you? Can you help me? So for our listeners who would like to work with you, you know, do you have any offerings coming up? How can people work with you to, to do this healing? The main way that people can work with me is my Learn to Thrive program. And this is where I help women break the cycles of unhealthy relationships and feeling not enough by building their self-love and learning healthy ways of communicating their needs, actually figuring out what it is that you need in the first place. This is where I do a lot of work with friendships. This is where we do a lot of family work as well. And it's a group coaching program. And so your listeners can go to learntothrivecourse.com to learn more about it. They can also um, book a call with me just to talk about the program as well in case they are interested to see they're a good fit. And they can do that by going to blackgirlsheal.org slash book. And so that's that program. And I actually just recently launched a new program called The Healed and Loved Woman, because my hope is that every woman feels healed and loved. And I realize, you know, kind of like what you were sharing before, like some people may really love what I talk about, but they don't quite connect to like the dating part. Maybe they are not single or maybe they are single, but they really just want to like learn how to like feel enough and to dig into those roots and connect to themselves. And so that's what this program is for. So it is a 12 month. So you and I would be together for the entire year, just slowly going through how do I learn how to build self-compassion in myself? How do I learn how to feel grounded? How do I unlearn the effects of this trauma? How do I build my boundaries? And the reason why it's a whole year is because I've done some trauma work online with folks in previous courses. And I just learned that slow is fast, you know, doing this in 12 weeks uh, is a lot of great information, but people will like get like, oh man, like this really like, I just need some time to like process it. (laughs) So 
you're going to get lots of time to like work with me. So for women who are interested in that, the doors are open until the end of December when they can go to the healedandlovedwoman.com and there's different levels and tiers. So if people want to be in my group coaching portion, if people want to do that, plus have a session with me a month, if they want to do that, plus do the Learn to Thrive program as well, they can do that. So those are all the options. And what I really love about my programs, class is that some people hear like group coaching like I want to talk to you directly like how is that going to work and when I tell you the amount of progress that the women in my programs have made like literally changing and turning their lives around it's it brings tears to my eyes so it's possible wherever you are (laughs) I love that and and doing it that way also makes it accessible to more people so that no matter where they're at they can still access it and make it work, which is incredible. Yeah, and you get better faster. I don't know if your listeners know this or if you've heard this before, but like there's studies that show that people improve faster when they heal in groups. So if you were to go to group therapy, if you were just going to go to a therapist, you would get better in a group therapy program faster than you would an individual because of that shared experience, because you're not doing it alone, because we're relational creatures, we need connection. So that's the other reason why I like to do it in group because you know there'll be a post at 2 a.m and I swear there'll be like three posts women like cheering on the person who posted before I even get to it it's really awesome that is incredible I'll make sure we have links to both programs as well as uh, your booking information in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find so Sheena what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? Mm, I was thinking about this before. I was like, <laughs> what do I say? What do I say? Like, be honest so that you don't think I'm like doing my morning routine every morning because <laughs> it's a struggle. I'm trying to get my schedule down with a new baby, but yeah. it's just getting better. Yeah. It is having a healthy interdependence, like I mentioned before, because so much my life has been, you know, I've been the best in a lot of areas. I could do everything fast and quick and by myself. And I got a lot of praise for doing things fast and quick and by myself um, and not letting other people in to help. And, you know, those kind of coping mechanisms, I think I heard you say um, in a previous podcast, how our perfectionism is just a trauma response that gets celebrated. That gets you so far until you're like, this is actually causing some problems. Being able to learn how to be connected to me, connected to my own needs, taking care of me, but still being open enough to say, I love you. I need you. I care about who you are. I care about what you think of me to other people without losing myself and for us to be like this mutuality and relationship um, and in the world. That is beautiful. That is an incredible answer. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. So Sheena, like I said, we'll make sure we have the links to your upcoming courses in the show notes. And for folks who just want to follow you, who want to follow Black Girls Heal, how can they keep in touch with you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at Black Girls Heal underscore. I have a podcast called Black Girls Heal on iTunes and all the other places that it, the podcasts are found. So you can just search for that and find me there. Um, and then, of course, I have a Facebook page and a free Facebook group called Black Girls Heal. And so um, you can go to that directly by going to blackgirlsheal.org slash group and I'll just reforward you there. Perfect. And we will have all of that linked in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
Thank you for tuning into this episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I hope this conversation helped inspire you on your own personal self-care and well-being journey. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and head to balanceblackworld.com for show notes and more information. If you'd like more support finding your balance, join our private membership community for self-care tools, exclusive content, and more. Visit balanceblackgirl.com slash community for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for tuning in.